part of the show where we sometimes do obituaries and we've got a few to talk about today one we've been sitting on for a while that would be the passing of the reverend john newhouse who died in january the reverend was originally a liberal lutheran after attending seminary he became a pastor of the saint john evangelist church in brooklyn newhouse co-founded the clergy concerned about vietnam worked at the time with the Reverend Martin Luther King on the Civil Rights Movement, and in 1968 supported Eugene McCarthy at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago, getting himself arrested in the process. But reportedly in the wake of Roe v. Wade in 1973, the Supreme Court decision which declared an abortion a constitutional right in the first trimester, the Reverend turned to the right. Reportedly, the Reverend Newhouse's uh, conservatism started to accelerate in the 70s and continued especially in the wake of Roe v. Wade, the 1973 Supreme Court decision declaring an abortion a constitutional right, at least in the first trimester. He began increasingly advocating a a religious role in civil affairs, also criticized churches for speaking out on secular social issues. If you were thinking, gee, it sounds like this guy had to move to the Catholic Church, well, you'd, you'd be ahead of the curve because Newhouse uh, converted to Catholicism in 1990 and was ordained a priest by New York's Cardinal John O'Connor. In 1994, along with convicted Watergate felon uh, Charles Colson, the Reverend issued a declaration titled Evangelicals and Catholics Together, which advocated the uniting of Catholics and Evangelicals on a social agenda that included opposition to abortion and support for government funding of religious schools. During the 1990s, Newhouse stood against same-sex marriage and likened the legal right to abortion to state-sponsored murder under the Nazi regime, which which sort of rhetoric uh, offended many Jewish conservatives. Naturally, of course, this made him a hero among tradition-minded conservatives and Republican-leading Christians. Newhouse soon became an important consultant to President George W. Bush, helping him create the White House's faith-based initiative policy. Newhouse was among the religious figures credited with helping Bush craft his 2001 speech against embryonic stem cell research. It was noted in obituaries that in interviews with religious publications, Bush cited the man he called Father Richard more than any other living authority. Mr. McMillan, I think you may have some appropriate music for this man's obituary. Yes, not to imply that Richard John Newhouse is now burning in hell, but we do hope they buried him in vestments made of asbestos. Ooh, that's kind of mean, isn't it? But I guess it does remind me of the Mark Twain statement that he's never actually killed anybody, but he has read some obituaries with a great deal of satisfaction. And speaking of priests with devilish views, you may have noticed the fact that the government of Argentina decided that it was unacceptable to have the ultra-conservative, Holocaust-denying British Catholic bishop, Richard Williamson, remain in the country. 
The Argentinian interior minister had announced that the bishop's statements on the Holocaust profoundly insulted Argentine society. The bishop, of course, has denied that Jews died in gas chambers and has said that no more than 300,000 died in Nazi concentration camps. Bishop Williamson was, was one of four ultra-traditionalist bishops whose excommunications were lifted by Pope Benedict in January. But you say not one Jew was killed? In gas chambers. So there I was think, no gas chambers? I believe there were no gas chambers, yes. I think the, as far as I have studied the evidence, I'm not going by motion. I think, for instance, people who are against uh, what is very widely believed today about, quote-unquote, the Holocaust, those people conclude, the revisionists, as they're called, uh, the, I think the most serious conclude that between two and 300,000 Jews perished in uh, Nazi concentration camps. Yes, folks, this is the guy that our new German Pope thinks the excommunication of should be lifted. All right, let's see if we can change gears. Let's talk about to the cover of Newsweek. We are all socialists now. The perils and promise of a new era of big government. That was the, uh, the February 16th issue of Newsweek, which apparently is proclaiming that we're now entering a new socialist era not one month into the Obama presidency. And we like to steer away from words like communism, socialism, capitalism on this program, although we don't necessarily do a very good job of that, but we try because sometimes there's such imprecise terms. To proclaim that America, you know, is now a socialist nation is just, it's just nuts. We have here what's called a mixed economy. Or as uh, some wags I know like to point out, what we have is socialism for the rich, capitalism for the poor. And it certainly would seem that the supposed capitalists over on Wall Street uh, are looking pretty socialist. And, and I say that before we got around to doing all these bailouts. I mean, what do you call this corporate, uh, this corporate mentality where the pirates that are running the ship are basically running it aground and basically making off with the treasure chest, which is what, isn't that what all these, you know, golden parachutes are? But what I love about it is all these guys that are getting these sweet deals that are screwing the, uh, that are screwing the, the, uh, the stockholder and ultimately the taxpayer in many cases are all presenting themselves as the vanguard of the, uh, the dynamic capitalist system. I mean, they, you know, they write books about it. They go talk to Sean Hannity about it. But it sure seems like corporate socialism and corporate welfare to me. What do you think, dear listener? You know, we haven't asked for your input for the last couple of weeks, and, and we like to hear from you any week. So, you know, whatever you hear in this program, feel free to drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. But, uh, you know, there's something wrong with the people over at Newsweek. I mean, it's like, you know, Wall Street tells them, you know, write, write a story about how we're all socialists now, and, and they appear to, you know, obey. I, mean, I don't know how else to account for a national news magazine actually printing an article from Dr. Henry Kissinger about a nuclear nightmare. Kissinger writes, As nations like Iran and North Korea seek to develop atomic weapons, the chances of calamity are rising dramatically. Here's how to lower them. You know, I've had just about enough of Dr. Henry Kissinger <laughs> advising us on how to lower our risk of calamity. This is the guy that advised Richard Nixon to put multiply independent re-entry vehicles, MERS, on the top of our missiles would be a good idea. 
Never mind the fact that a couple years later, when the Soviet Union got the knack, that meant that their missiles now had 10 warheads pointed at us instead of one. I would not say that that reduced the risk of calamity very much. How about this article from the New York Times, I think sent to us by Millie, noting that the crop scientists are saying that biotechnology seed companies are thwarting research. Article noted that... uh, Scientists wrote in a statement uh, submitted to the Environmental Protection Agency that no truly independent research can be legally conducted on many critical questions. Article noted the statement will probably give support to critics of biotech crops, like environmental groups who have long complained that crops have not been studied thoroughly enough and could have unintended health and environmental consequences. This problem arises because, according to scientists, farmers and other buyers, like scientists of genetically engineered seeds, have to sign an agreement meant to ensure that the growers honor company patent rights and environmental regulations. The agreements also prohibit growing the crops for research purposes. A lot of folks out there think that, uh, you know, this genetically modified organism the approach to, to food crops is just, just, just a great thing. And it, there may be some, there may be many good consequences from this, but the devil's in the details and the behavior of some of these corporations is, to say the least... Not reassuring. We uh, we talked a couple weeks back, I think, about uh, the whole you know hype over marijuana and marijuana use from an article in New Scientist, and uh, the magazine followed up on last week's um, issue on on this matter of ecstasy, and they had this to say in an editorial accompanying the article: Imagine you're seated at a table with two bowls in front of you. One contains peanuts and the other tablets of the illegal recreational drug MDMA, better known as ecstasy. A stranger joins you, and you have to decide whether to give them the peanuts or the pill. Which is safest? Noted the magazine, you should give them ecstasy, of course. A much larger percentage of people suffer a fatal acute reaction to peanuts than to MDMA. Of course, that's not even talking about the recent salmonella issue. Note of the magazine, this is, of course, only a thought experiment. Nobody would consider doing it for real. But it puts the risks associated with ecstasy in context with others we take for granted. Yes, ecstasy is dangerous, and people who take it are putting their lives on the line, to some degree. But the danger needs to be put in perspective. The magazine notes that, sadly, perspective is something that is generally lacking in the long and torturous debate over illegal drugs. Said new scientist, in this magazine, we have argued that drug policy should be made on the basis of evidence of harmfulness, harmfulness to individuals and to society. They note that the British government's stated line is similar, yet time and again, it ignores its own rules and the recommendations of its experts. Most other governments in the West act in a similar way. The latest example of the double think they talked about was MDMA. Apparently, the UK government's Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs was widely expected to recommend downgrading it based on evidence of its limited harmfulness. Yet the government already rejected that advice. And in the article itself, it it talked about um, the fact that studies done on people who used ecstasy 20 years ago reveal that there don't appear to be any significant long-term problems. Said the article, for most people, ecstasy seems to be nowhere near as harmful over time as you may have been led to believe. In fact, they did a study comparing people who'd used MDMA to non-users, 
and found that on all tests except for verbal memory, ecstasy users performed just as well with and on par with abstainers. And in fact, on this question of verbal memory, uh, they had a very limited effect, a difference of a quarter of a word on average from a list of 15 real words, which makes the whole implications of this kind of questionable. Unfortunately, as so often the case with, uh, with uh, drugs, illegal drugs, we have law enforcement officials practicing, I would say, medicine without a license. They're happy to make all kinds of medical pronouncements about these drugs, which, which are not really based on any good evidence. And no, we're not recommending you go out and use ecstasy. But the evidence seems to be that if you have in the past, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lose any sleep worried about, you know, any long-term health consequences. All right, we've got a couple minutes left, and I do want to close with a funny bit of, uh, of the Smothers Brothers. But um, before we do close with that, I wanted to sound off on, on something I find myself uh, surprisingly knowledgeable about. There was an article in, uh, in the Sacramento Bee about uh, uh, Sean Penn and the movie Milk finally bringing reality to portrayals of gay men on the silver screen. Now, not, not being a gay person myself, uh, I would be expected to have a limited ability to contribute to this discussion. But I did read an article, and I believe this was in the Uncle John's Bathroom Reader some time back, about something that this, this article got wrong. To quote from it briefly, and it referring, referring back to the classic Humphrey Bogart movie, The Maltese Falcon, According to author Reed Johnson of the LA Times, in the Depression era, gunsel meant either a hired gun and or a young, submissive homosexual. In the movie, Humphrey Bogart's Sam Spade sneeringly flings the pejorative at Wilmer, the anxiously buttoned-up young thug working for Casper Gutman, played by Elisha Cook Jr. Well, more accurately, according, to, I think, to Uncle John's bathroom reader, the term was used rather cleverly in the movie to telegraph, through the use of a rather obscure slang word, the relationship that Wilmer had to his employer. But in the context of the movie, since he was a hired gunman, the term gunsel was then picked up and used as a term describing someone who is a hired gun. So apparently it was something that, that viewers of the movie inferred incorrectly. That was not what it meant. A lot of hoods and thugs and mafia tough guys were referring to themselves as gunsels, and they got it wrong. And that's about all I got to say on that. As related to uh, Sean Penn, the movie Milk, and all the other ones they referred to in here, Brokeback Mountain, etc., well, I, I just, I, I'm, I assume that they got things right on those. All right, finally, coming to Cash Creek uh, this weekend will be the legendary Smothers Brothers. Um, anyone old enough to remember their TV show, uh, you know, I mean, well, to them, these guys need no introduction. But I realize there's a whole generation out there to whom they may not be so familiar. And I wanted to play just an excerpt from one of their funny bits to give you an idea of their comedy stylings. In the weeks to come, we're going to air an interview we did with Dick Smothers. But in the meantime, I wanted to show you an example of the boys at work. Dream the impossible dream To fight the unbeatable foe To bear with unbearable sorrow To run where the brave dare not go 
This is my quest to follow that star, no matter how hopeless, no matter how far, to fight for the right, without question or my heart will lie peaceful and calm when I'm laid to my rest The Impossible Dream of course from the man from La Mancha the story of Don Quixote one of the most courageous men of all time story of hope the impossible dream the heartbreak the anguish, the unbearable sorrow, but the never, the never forsaking that one and unattainable dream. Now what does this song say to you, Tommy? What does this beautiful song cry out? What does it pray you understand? Do you feel it? What does it say? What does it say? It feels, says. Yes, yes, it's coming. Tell me, what does it do? It says. Come on, Tommy, now what does this song Says say to you? to fight. Right. To fight, to go to hell and fight for a heavenly cause. No, no, wait a minute. <laughs> to fight in hell for no, a cause. No, it doesn't say that. To reach an unscreenable star. No, no. To I fight thought, an unbeatable foe. I thought you know what to it is. To go to hell and fight a foe. Anna, come on, cut this. Anna, you don't even know what it is. This song says, you're partially right, it says to fight for what you believe in. That's the key. It doesn't say just go around fighting. Fight for what you believe in. Fight for the right. Have the personal integrity and strength, no matter what the odds. Kevin. Now, what the odds to fight for what you believe in? Like Tommy. Moses. Moses, that's right. Moses, who led the, led the Hebrews out of the Egypt into the land of milk and money. Uh, honey. 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 But he's right. Tommy, in his own way, he's right. Moses fought against all, all odds. He brought the Hebrews out of Egypt and he says, follow me. And they did so blindly. They followed him into the desert. And he fought on for what he believed in. And finally he came to the Red Sea. And it looked like all was lost. It was an impossible dream to cross that sea, wasn't it? Yeah. And he said, believe in me. And they did. And sure enough, for this holy man Moses, the Red Sea parted. And the people, they shouted, holy Moses, he did it. <laughs> they did not. Some of them, some of them probably No, not that. even some of them. Maybe one kid in the back. No, not one kid in the back. Crying out loud, Tom, now do you get what I'm driving at? What, what, what have I said to you? You said perseverance, to fight for what you believe perseverance, in. Perseverance. To good. fight the unbeatable foe. Right. To dream the impossible dream, to bear the, bear without, with, bear the... Can you use any original words? Are you just going down In other words, song? not fighting, just physical fighting but the belief in what you want like if, some men have right. even if you be, believe you're right fight right right for, for your cause because like there's men that have even given their lives for what they believe in there's been many men Tom. and some have not only given their lives but given of their time for their <laughs> all right you're 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 close you're very close 
And not only men, of course. There have been thousands and thousands and millions of people throughout the history that have given their lives for what they believed in. But not just men, women too. Like, for example, Joan of Arc. Oh, lovely Joan of Arc. Right, she fought for what she yes. believed in. Joan of Arc. Lovely, courageous Joan of Arc for 40 days and 40 nights of rain. <laughs> yeah, bop, 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 bop. Gotta build this boat to get these animals in. Come hey, on, Tommy, 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 Tommy. You gotta build a... No, 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 you're thinking she that's never... Noah. <laughs> that's, that's Noah. Joan? No, Tommy, you're, you're thinking of Noah. Noah's Ark. Joan of Ark. You see? No. Now listen, this is me. No, no, you, you're wrong. You're wrong. But, you're but, wrong. Hey, Noah's Ark. Noah was a man who built a boat, and, and God said unto him to bring an, all animals of the world in pairs, in twos, and then it rained. See, that was a man from the Bible, the Old Testament. Now, Joan of Ark was a, was a lovely maiden in France. She led the armies of France. No, no, Noah, no. Ark, Noah's Ark, Jonah of, I mean, Joan. You said Jonah. My brother said Jonah. No, I made a you mistake. You made a mistake. Yeah, what I... My uh, brother made a mistake. <laughs> Boy, it was really obvious you made it. All right, but... You said Jonah. Jonah, I was getting confused. Jonah, uh, Jonah and the whale. Why would she lead an army into a whale? Tommy, it's Jonah of Ark. Now think about it. Think about the, the, it. Think about it. The, think. Noah's Ark, Joan of Ark. You, you, you finished thinking? How's it coming? It's hard, man. Sort of a weird feeling, isn't it? Isn't, isn't it really a lot of fun? It's a new experience. Are you through thinking? I've okay, thought about it and I've great. considered it and you're wrong. What? I'm right. Joan built the ark and Noah led the armies. No, I believe wrong, I'm right, Dickie. I don't care what I'll you believe. I'll stick by my convictions. I don't care what you believe. You said to stand up for what, what you believe in. I'm standing up for what I believe. You're you wrong. You said for me to stand up for what I believe in. Yeah, but that's only to, if you're right. That is, doesn't make any difference whether I'm right or wrong. That's my conviction. Well, I'm committed. I know you're committed. <laughs> Once I'm committed, can't I'm an American. You, can't you change your mind? No. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely wrong. And the world, and the world. Better for this that one fool believed a dumb thing. That one man, one man, scorned and scorned covered with scars. scars. Scorned and scarred, he strove through the strove with his last ounce of courage. With his last ounce of courage, friends, to dream the undreamable. You, you know. Your heart that I'm right. <laughs> That's it for the program. Our thanks to Dr. David Kahn, who educated us about codes, and of course, our old pal Will Durst. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. This show was produced, as they all are, by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time.